Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks for being with us again in person. Thanks if you've uh, joined us online today. If we met, my name is Mike, one of the pastors on staff here, and we are glad to have you here with us as we are in the final week uh, of a series that we have entitled This Changes Everything. Uh, now, if, if you're just joining us for the first time today and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to keep up there in the last week, I'm way behind, relax. Right, to breathe. We'll get you caught up. It's really not too terribly complicated. Uh, what we've been doing is we've been working our way through the New Testament book of Titus or a New Testament letter of Titus throughout the series. And there are three chapters. We've had six weeks. And so we spent a, a couple of weeks in each chapter. And uh, this week we're in chapter three getting towards the end of chapter three. And what we've done every week is we've just explored together this theme that Paul keeps coming back to. Paul's the author's letter, and he keeps coming back to this theme that the gospel, when it's unleashed in somebody's life, that it's meant to change everything. That it changes who they are in relationship to God. It changes who they are personally. It changes how they interact with people in the community of faith. It, it's meant to change how they interact with their culture and people inside of their culture. The gospel, a soul-saving relationship with Jesus, is meant to change everything. Everything And each week we've just looked at a different aspect of that and tried to unpack it. Now, as we wrap things up this week, we um, are going to look at something that is just exciting and heartwarming and uncomplicated. Today we're talking about church discipline. <laughs> Who's excited? Uh -huh. <laughs> Thank you for just humoring me there. All right. So, okay, let's, uh, we'll, just, we'll just write up front the topic of church discipline. It's not very exciting. It is not heartwarming, all right? And it is anything but complicated. Let me tell you why we're going to go there anyway, all right? It's because, it's because if, if we're, we cannot be faithful to the teachings of the New Testament, we will not care well for people in the midst of their brokenness, and we will not shepherd the church competently unless we're willing to practice church discipline. Again, we will not be able to be faithful as a community to what we read repeatedly throughout the New Testament. We will not care well for people when their life goes off the rails. And we will not protect the innocent and the vulnerable among us unless we're willing to navigate this. Now, I get it just got really heavy really fast, okay? And for some of us, we're like, we're, we're, like, we're uncomfortable. And like, if you're here in person, you're like, why didn't I watch online? And I could have just clicked this thing off or gone to somebody else's live stream instead. But you're here, you're stuck here. And if you're you know, watching online, I can see, I can like track. You know, we've got this little program. I watch, you know, there goes the attendance, right? But we're going to go here anyway. And these are the reasons why. So let's take a minute and pray. Invite God to be part of this. And then we'll just see what Paul's playing at here in chapter 3. Father, just as, as we look into this today, I just pray you would help us to just take a step back and recognize that you know better than we do. Help us be people who try and let 
how we think and how we behave be shaped by you rather than trying to cram what you say into our perspective or worldview. Help us to be people who just are shaped in our thinking and our living by you and your truth. Please give us hearts and minds that are receptive to you. Help us as we discuss this. Uh, Father, just, we just pray that you would please help um, folks right here at Faith. We just pray for the Pratts as it looks like um, as a result of his surgery, Bob had a stroke and they're trying to navigate that. I just pray that you would bring healing to his body, that you would bring comfort to him and Karen. Uh, Father, we just pray for Julie McIntosh as she's um, four or five surgeries into what was supposed to be one right now, that you would please bring healing to her body, that you would bring peace to her in the midst of all the anxiety that comes with this. And just for others, Father, um, as I sat in the back of the room and watched people worship and just saw folks who I know who are struggling. I just pray that you would meet them in this season. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Titus chapter 3, picking up at verse 1. We're going to kind of read what we talked about last week and then pick up where we're going to go this week. Paul says to Titus, he says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that we have been justified by, so that, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So last week, we kind of spent our time working through that section of Titus chapter 3. And this week, we're going we're to pick up here. Zoom in on what Paul says next. He says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and self-condemned. And again, Paul begins this whole section. And right on the front end, he says, um, remind the people. And we talked about this last week, how um, what Paul is saying throughout you know, everything we, we just read here, this is not new stuff for the church there in Crete. These are all things that when Paul was there with them in person as he's planting this church, that he taught them. And then on top of that, everything that we've just read, 
This is all stuff that Paul has already written about to other churches previously that we have recorded for us in the New Testament. Like, most of Titus chapter 3 is kind of a rerun, if you would, which isn't a bad thing. Because as, as Paul begins to talk about what he's, you know, what we're zooming in on here at the end of chapter 3, in some ways this can feel a, a little bit vague and a little bit incomplete when we talk about this topic of church discipline. And, and if Titus, if what we have in the book of Titus is all we had on the topic of church discipline, it would make it even more complicated than it already is. But here's the good news. This isn't meant to be understood or read in isolation. Instead, it's meant to be read and understood in the context of what all of the New Testament has said about this topic. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of start here in Titus and and explore the topic in the context of the book of Titus. And then we'll pull in some of what the New Testament says in addition to that to help round it out. And then we'll kind of wrap things up by looking at a real life example of this. And if you're sitting in a room and you're like, oh my goodness, is it going to be me? No. All right. You're safe. All right. It's it's somebody from a previous church. So, all right. Um, So so the the first question you want to kind of wrestle with is, okay, what was the problem that they were having there in the church in Crete? Because much like any other church, the church in Crete wasn't perfect. And believe it or not, the problem that they were having was related to, wait for it, the people. I'll tell you a secret about ministry. Church would be easy if not for the people. You wouldn't have church, but it'd be a lot easier, all right? So, so the, the problem was with the people, and, and Paul actually, if you remember like six weeks ago when we started this series and we read through chapter one, Paul begins to highlight the problem there in chapter one. Here's what he says. He says, for there are many rebellious people, there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit to do anything good. I don't know about you, sometimes I wish Paul would just tell me what he's really thinking about somebody, right? Instead of these euphemisms, you know, just say it plain, Paul. All right, so chapter 1, he begins to kind of flesh out what the problem is there. And then in chapter 3, he picks back up on this. And we, we read this, but we're going to read it again. And, and he's like talking about the same people. you got this group that's worked its way into the church there. About the same group, he says, But avoid foolish controversies and... Um, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure, and they get soft again, such people are warped and sinful and self-condemned. Now, the problem going on in Crete, to some degree, admittedly, we are working with limited information. To some degree, it feels like you're putting together this puzzle and you don't have all the pieces. However, when you look at what the New Testament has to say about a consistent problem 
that was going on in the first century church that multiple letters in the New Testament kind of put a spotlight on. Here's what we think we had going on in Crete. We had people who grew up Jewish, right? They, they grew up in Judaism, and then later in life, they found Jesus. But, but the, the things that they grew up with in Judaism, the law, the, the dietary restrictions, the feast days, the festival days, the, you know, all the different requirements of Judaism, they loved those things. It's what they grew up with. It's what they knew. It played such a significant role in their spirituality. And then after they became Christians, they wrestled with how do I prioritize like what I grew up with in Judaism? How do I appropriately prioritize that or reprioritize that in light of Jesus and the gospel? And so you have some of these individuals who are part of the church in Crete and they begin teaching things. So, some things that are like just set around these needless, needless controversies. And in another version, they actually translate it as they're teaching things that are just stupid. Or they begin to like zoom in on genealogies. And like your ability to trace your family roots back to this person in the Old Testament makes you more spiritually significant than somebody who can't. And then the really big thing that they zoomed in on was what is it, what's the relationship between a follower of Jesus and the Old Testament law. And the gist of the teaching was this, like Jesus is a nice start. He's a good place to get started, but if you're really gonna have the right kind of relationship with God, you are still gonna fully obey the Old Testament law. It was Jesus plus fully obeying the Old Testament law, that makes you right with God. And, and Big thing that they were all about was circumcision. Because you have Jews who've been circumcised since day eight, and you have all these Gentiles who are not. And the, the, like, the symbol, and I don't know why God picked this as like his like, gang sign or whatever, right? But like, th like, that's how you knew you were on the team. You know, you got circumcised, right? So that's why they're called the circumcision group, right? I, we're going to leave it alone. I'm just going to behave. <laughs> Avoid the connection card. All right, so you have these individuals who Paul shows up there in Crete, and he says to these Gentiles, hey, when you were at your worst, God loved you. God showed up, and he had mercy on you. Like, rather than giving you what you justly had coming, he withheld that. He sent Jesus, your Savior. And when you put your faith in Jesus, God poured his Holy Spirit into your life. He scrubbed you clean of the past. He made his grace available to you. He justified you, gave you the, the, the legal standing of somebody who's innocent. He adopted you into his family, made you his heir, and gave you the hope of heaven. And then the, the, the circumcision guild shows up, and they're like, listen, we know Paul told you you're forgiven, you're free, you're good with God, but you're really not. And if you're going to be, here are all the things you got to do in order to get right with God, including getting circumcised. So let's just take a little bit off the top. And away they went, all right? So Paul says like, hey, these guys, they're disrupting whole households. 
That they're like, they're just creating all kinds of chaos. In fact, the word that we have translated as disrupting here, it is the same word used to describe Jesus. When he rolls into the temple and he's just flipping the tables of the money changers. Paul's like, that's what these people are doing to homes and lives. You've got these individuals who, who Paul had said to them, listen, you, Jesus has set you free from the crushing weight of having to be good enough for an infinitely holy God. And then these folks show up and they're like, no, 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 you, you have to obey the entire law. It's not about what God has done for you. It's now about how you're going to be good enough for him. And it just wreaked havoc in people's lives and in their homes and in their spirituality. And so Paul says to Titus very clearly, he's like, hey, we need to respond to this. And th there are at least three things that Paul instructs Titus to do in response to what's going on. Number one, he says, they must be silenced. Now, the word that we have translated here is silence. It literally means to stuff something into their mouth or to, you know, it's, it, he's like, you're going to gag them or you're going to muzzle them. Number two, he says to warn them. Literally, it means to put something into someone's mind. The idea is you're going to come alongside these folks and you're going to try and change their mind. You're going to try and bring some kind of redemption or restoration to bear. And then number three, he says, have nothing to do with them. Literally translated, that is to refuse them, avoid them, dismiss them, or drive them out. So Paul, he says, this is how we're going to do this. And again, you need to understand this. This is not new. The, everything we're reading in chapter 3, this is a, a rerun of what we, we've read elsewhere in the New Testament. What Paul is talking about here, this is standard stuff for Paul in the New Testament. For example, Jesus. Jesus said this. He said, um, if your brother or sister sins... Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So Jesus is talking about, hey, in the context of a community of faith, if somebody is engaged in behavior that is clearly out of alignment with God's will for their lives, you need to go and talk to that person about what is going on. With the hope being, he's like, listen, go, go and point out just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. The goal is restoration. Now, if that person won't listen to what you're saying, you're like, you go and you talk to them. We got Pastor Laura, she's our pastor of children. Let's say I, I find out Laura's kicking babies in the nursery, all right? And I'm like, you can't do that, Laura. You know, that's wrong. You know, it's, folks, it's, it's, don't, right? If Laura won't listen to me, which happens all the time, right? Amen, okay. <laughs> she won't listen to me. Then I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna take one or two others along so that the matter will be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. There's a twofold purpose there. Number one, I take somebody along with me. I might take Jack along with me, all right? Jack is there. So he could, Jack could say to me, she's not doing that. You're out of your mind, you know? Or, no, there's really nothing wrong. The Bible doesn't say anything about kicking babies. It's just good, you know? Or, or 
Jack can confirm to Laura, no, this is out of bounds. You have to stop this. This isn't just some kind of conflict between you and Mike. Mike's not crazy. This, he's there to reaffirm that what I'm saying is in, is, is in fact correct, and what she's doing is in fact inappropriate. Now, if Laura won't listen to me and Jack, if they still refuse to listen, tell the church. Now, this, this again, does a couple of things. It reaffirms with a greater pool of people We've got a problem, and it stresses the seriousness of the situation. If still, Pastor Laura won't listen, it's just every time she's in the nursery, boof, right? All right? Still they won't listen, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In first century Judaism, tax collectors were routinely removed from the community of faith. They were individuals who, as a Jew, you had as little to do with as possible. This is the teaching of Jesus. And it's not just Jesus. Like to the Corinthian church, Paul, Paul writes to them about, a, a, they, they have an issue where they've got this guy who is knocking boots with his stepmom and then bragging to the church about it. Paul says this, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. If that was the case, you'd have to leave this world. So Paul makes a distinction. All right? He's like, hey, when it comes to church discipline, this is about people who are part of the church, who are followers of Jesus, who are part of the community of faith. This doesn't apply to people who aren't. He, he drills down on this some more. He says, now, but, but now I'm writing to you that you, I'm not writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother um, or sister, but, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people, he says. He's like, listen, if somebody's part of the community of faith and they've got this ongoing thing in their lives that's sin, it impacts your relationship with them. Then he asks a couple rhetorical questions. He says, but what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? The answer being none. Then he says, are you not to judge those inside the church? Again, a rhetorical question, the answer being yes. He says, God's going to judge those on the outside. But as for this guy who's sleeping with his, with his stepmom, expel the wicked person from among you. Or to the church in Rome. Paul will say, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Or to the church in Thessalonica, he says, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So, back in Crete, you've got this thing going on. And Paul's like, listen, you, you need to shut this down. Do not give them a platform to teach this nonsense. You need to warn them, come alongside of them. Seek to try and, and correct their thinking and their behavior. The goal is redemption. But if they refuse and they continue in this behavior, your job is to remove them from the community of faith. 
This is what Paul is telling Titus. It is the word for the church then. It's the word for the church now. Now, I get some of us hear that, and we, we just, we're like, ugh. In fact, some of us hear that, and we push back. And we'll, we'll say things like, I thought the church was supposed to be the place where you could find unconditional acceptance. Or, or I'll hear people say, this just isn't loving. Or some people even try and you know, like drag Jesus into it. Well, didn't Jesus say, like, like, let he who was out sin cast the first stone, and none of us are perfect. And if that's you, I'm not mad at you. I get it. I get it. So here's what I want to do. In an effort to just kind of address those concerns and to illustrate why we would do this, like we said why we would do this, but to illustrate that, what I want to do is I want to share with you a real-life example of this. All right? So um, prior to being on staff here at Faith, I was on staff at another church for a little better than a decade, and I served as the associate pastor there. And over the years, we had a number of worship leaders on staff, and, and one of them, the first worship leader we ever had, and actually, last, if you were here last week and Stephen uh, led worship while Kat was out of town, Stephen was one of our worship leaders, and I was like, I have to clarify, we're not talking about Stephen, okay? Different <laughs> um, worship leader, uh, whose name is? That's right, Jack, because in all my illustrations, everybody's Jack or Jill, and that's how we protect the uh, identity of the guilty. So um, Jack was somebody who was on staff at a church. Jack claimed that he was following Jesus, and on every given weekend, Jack was leading about 900 people in worship. Now, I remember Jack's wife, Jill, coming to myself and the then lead pastor and being like, hey, I think there's something wrong. I can't get into Jack's phone. He's changed the password. He won't give me the new one. Jack locks himself up in the home office for, for long stretches of time, won't let anybody in there, won't tell us what he's doing. There's money missing from our account, and he can't explain to me where it went. There are chunks of time where I don't know where he is, what he's doing, and he refuses to, to affirm to me that he's still committed to our marriage. I think we have a problem. And myself and the lead pastor were like, yeah, <laughs> We have a problem. And we did have a problem. And for time's sake, I'll compress the timeline and uh, I'll compress the details. But basically the problem was, Jack was incredibly unhappy in his marriage. He was having an affair. He was paying for it out of the family funds. And he was planning on leaving Jill and their six kids to go and be with a woman 15 years his younger. That was a problem. It was an issue. Um, again, Jack claimed to have a relationship with Jesus. And he was planning and doing things that were clearly out of alignment with God's will for his life. And if, you, and if you're sitting there and you're going, well, I don't know, I mean, it's like lying and stealing and adultery and abandonment. Does the Bible really call that sin? Yes. It does. And if, you, and if you need help with that, in the seat pocket in front of you, there's a series bulletin. Pastor James's email is on there. <laughs> you email him, he'll send you all the references, okay? So I sat down with Jack. The lead pastor sat down with Jack. 
elders in the church sat down with Jack, all in an effort to help him see, hey, like what you are doing and planning on doing, this is wrong. And when it became clear that like we just weren't gaining any kind of traction, our, our first thing, the first thing we did is we suspended him from his role with pay. But we were, we were just like, hey, we cannot put you on stage under the lights behind a microphone to lead people in worship when this is what you're doing and planning on doing. And then, then we continued to like try and work with Jack. Like we provided him and Jill with marriage counseling at the church's expense, which he reluctantly accepted. We offered to send them on a, a, a marriage intensive retreat, again at the church's expense, which he refused. And I lost count of how many times myself and the lead pastor met with Jack to try and be like, hey, what you were doing and planning on doing, this is wrong. When it became clear, he was not going to change. He was going to move in this direction no matter what. We said, okay, you, you, you got two choices. We can fire you or you can resign. He chose to resign. And after he resigned, we said to him, hey, you can't come to church on Sunday unless you're willing to address this issue in your life. And so shortly after he resigned, he moved out of state, abandoned his wife and six kids, left them to fend for themselves, and he filed for divorce. Now, let me tell you why we responded to Jack the way that we did. Number one, we could not have been faithful to the teachings of the New Testament if we hadn't. See, we need to understand something. We are a church. We're not a club for nice people. This is not a social event on Sundays where we show up to you know, share root beer, and, root beer and oatmeal cookies for all. We are a community of people who have put our faith in Jesus and who together are pursuing to place our lives under his authority as we follow him. Anybody can come and explore that. But to be part of the church is to be somebody who is on that mission. And the, as we read, and we didn't, even, we didn't even hit them all. I was selective. Again and again and again, the New Testament is so clear. If somebody claims to have a relationship with Jesus, and they are engaged in sin, other people who are part of that community have a responsibility to say something. And if that person refuses repentance and restoration, other people who are a part of that community have a responsibility to remove that person from that community. There is no way we could have been faithful to what the New Testament really repeatedly teaches us and not done something. We just couldn't have sat back and done nothing about it. The direction was incredibly clear. Not only so, but we responded to Jack the way that we did in an effort to care for him. See, the Bible, again, is super clear. When I choose to do life my way instead of God's way, when I choose to sin, that my sin becomes a destructive force in my life. 
But Paul put it this way elsewhere. He basically told us in Romans that the, the return on investment for sin is death. Emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and more. And, and we, we saw that in Jack's life. Like, I watched Jack lose his wife and his job and his financial stability, his home. I watched his platform for music. Such a talented musician. He had this growing platform for his music when he was on staff at the church that became reduced to the bar scene. And it never grew beyond that. I watched his relationship with his kids become and remain estranged. The, the, the girl he left his wife and his kids for, that relationship didn't last. And he has not had a healthy, functional relationship since. Today he remains spiritually bankrupt. And that's just what I'm aware of as far as the price tag that he paid. There's all kinds of things that I'm, I'm sure I am unaware of. The wages of sin is death. If we had sat by and done nothing, it would have made us willing participants in his destruction. It would it, it, have been equivalent to seeing somebody getting ready to, to, to like step in front of a speeding bus and we don't say anything because we don't want to come across as judgmental or I don't want to be offensive or man, that really makes me uncomfortable to have that conversation or do you understand what kind of work getting involved in that's going to be? To see someone do something that we know is going to destroy them and to say and do nothing, that is unloving. Church discipline is the loving response as it seeks to come alongside of a person to help them see you're destroying yourself. Let me help you move towards repentance and restoration so you don't do that. And then finally, we responded the way that we did to try and protect other people, innocent people within the community of faith from what Jack was doing. Because again, we, we like to say things like, well, this is my life and these are my decisions and I'm not hurting anybody and this is a victimless crime and all that sounds really great and all that makes us feel better. But none of that's true. Every time we sin, sooner or later, to one degree or another, our sin impacts people who our lives are connected to. We, we will demand that innocent people pay part of the price for our choices. And we watched that happen with Jack. Like, we'll take his wife and his kids off the table because that's the low-hanging low fruit. That's easy to demonstrate that. I watched people who, for whom Jack's faith prior to all of this was an inspiration to their faith. When all of this played out, I watched their faith just get rattled. Or I watched two different men who were struggling in their own marriages watch Jack abandon his wife and children and their response was to do the same to their families. Or I remember... My daughter was close friends with Jack's daughter. And I'm, tech, I'm tucking Becca into bed one night, and my daughter says to me, Dad, are you going to abandon Mom and us 
like Jacobin and his family. Like her security was rattled. She is paying part of the price for his choices. Whether we want to admit it or not, every time we choose to sin, innocent people around us, they pay part of the price. When I choose sin for me, I do violence to the lives of those who are connected to me. Leaders in the church have a responsibility to protect the innocent and the vulnerable. We responded the way that we did because there was no way we could have been competent to shepherd the family of faith without doing so. So, end of chapter 3. Paul tells Titus and the church then and the church now, hey, you got to engage in church discipline. And he does so not because it's exciting and not because it's heartwarming and not because it's uncomplicated, but he does so because we can't be faithful to what we read again and again in the New Testament. We won't care well for somebody who's actively destroying their lives. And we will not protect the innocent and the vulnerable among us unless we're willing to navigate this. And so I get it's heavy. I get it's uncomfortable, but we're going there anyway. Because if the Bible goes there, we're going to go there. And if you don't, if you don't want that, you are going to consistently find me to be a frustrating person. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that we don't have to go there as a church. But as we do, as we do, we'll navigate it together as a church and we'll try and let the New Testament be the guide for us as we do so. So let's pray. Father, just as we've taken time this morning to look at what's difficult and heavy, Father, I just pray that you would help us just to see the grace that is contained in it and the intentionality and the love. As you are seeking to use the church as a means by which people aren't set free to destroy themselves and others, but people are loved enough to have others come alongside of them and try and help them see error, try and save them from destruction, where people are loved enough that they will be protected from those who won't protect themselves or love them enough to protect them. Father, I just pray that we would get to avoid this as a church, but when we can, Father, help us to be a people who will let the New Testament be our guide. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.